Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. All right, so uh, Pastor Brusek asked me to, uh, to fill in for him uh, while he's gone, and uh, he asked me to do with you the, the Lord's Prayer. And we'll spend the three weeks doing the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we'll see how it goes, because um, the experience with Joy Group uh, is that uh, <laughs> my Bible studies are very f- fast-paced, right? <laughs> we spent uh, three months doing three short um, chapters of Galatians, and uh, so I don't know. Um, I have a plan for today, and um, who knows? Um, anyways, um, so before before we get to the text, yesterday night I got three three texts in a row at 1 a.m. saying that I don't forget that the uh, well that that too, but the money for today is for the Russians, whatever it means. I don't know. The text says it's for the Russians, okay? And uh, take it as you will. Okay, okay. So uh, I got three texts in, uh, in a row, and then to make sure, I got the fourth one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay, um, it's for, for the Russians then. Um, now, uh, I'm sorry that uh, Pastor Bruzek does an awesome job of printing out outlines for, all, for you all. I mean, I am not nearly as organized. I don't have outlines for you. Uh, mine is scratched, so I wanted to have, a, to have a copy for you, but I didn't have time really to clean it up, so uh, I'm sorry for that. Um, as we were, um, I mean, service yesterday, it was All Saints, today All Saints, and it struck me uh, that we ring or we toll the bell, right? And, uh, and that is moving for me um, because I've never seen it done before, and I think it's such a great idea. You know, you toll bells at funerals. Now we remember the day we toll the bell. And this brought to my mind, this brought to my mind uh, an English poet, from the from the 1600s, uh, his name is John Donne, and probably you, some of you have read uh, some of his poems. But he did not only write poetry; he also wrote some prose. And in these prose, he, he wrote sort of sacred meditations. Um, when he was very ill, and he didn't even know when he was going to die. So, and I'm bringing this up today because it relates somehow to prayer. Um, and it relates to, to, to the fish today. And uh, he wrote this meditation, meditation number, seven, number 17, that was published in 1623 in the book Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. Uh, and he's telling about the, the bell tolls, um, or perchance he for whom this bell tolls may be so ill. Right? And then he says... Perhaps the toll, the bell is tolling for me. It was approaching death. Um, and he goes on saying that the church is Catholic. The church is universal. So all our actions, 
all that she belongs and that she does, all that she does belongs to all, right? Because the church is Catholic. So when the church baptizes a baby, that action concerns me, concerns you, right? Because the church is universal. He has a very, a very big awareness of what Paul saying, it says in, in 1 Corinthians, that we are all members of one body whose head is Jesus Christ. So he says, when the church baptizes a child, that action concerns me, for that child is thereby connected to that body which is my head too, and engrafted into that body whereof I am a member. And now, when she buries a man, that action concerns me. All mankind is of one author and is one volume. And how does this connect to pray, to prayer? He says, no man is an island. Entire of itself, every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Any man's death diminishes me because, and I think this phrase is outstanding, because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. Perhaps it tolls for me. Right? So, um, when, we, when we toll the bell in whole saints, I mean, perhaps we don't have a dear one who passed away next year, and perhaps we have. But even, even if we don't have a dear one who passed away this past year, um, that death concerns us because we are this body of Christ. We are united with Christ, in Christ, with one another. And um, so whenever we say the Lord's Prayer, uh, we are saying the Lord's Prayer not only for ourselves, but we are saying the Lord's Prayer for everyone because, as he says, we are involved in mankind, right? So everything that we do as Christians and everything that church does is for everybody. When you say the Lord's Prayer, Tom, you are praying for me. And when I say the Lord's Prayer, I am praying for you, right? And this comes through the, the entire prayer because the prayer is written in such a way that um, we say it in the plural, always. Nobody, nobody uh, prays the Lord's Prayer saying, my Father who art in heaven, right? We say, our Father who art in heaven, um, and so forth. So we have all these pronouns going on uh, during the Lord's Prayer, and all of them are we, us, uh, our, right? So it's all in the plural. We pray as a church. And the prayer is never just for me, it's for everybody. Okay. So, um, now getting to the Lord's Prayer more proper, I was, reading, um, I was reading Luther about the Lord's Prayer a little bit, and uh, he, said, he said that there's three or four important things about prayer, and one of them is God's command 
The other is God's promise, then our need would be the third, the third important thing. Um, and one that Luther does not, does not talk about, but Pastor Bruce talked about last time, is our relationship with one another, right? And our relationship with the Father, being children of God, and with the Son, being brothers of Jesus, right? So, going from the beginning, um, our, our prayer, whenever we say the Lord's Prayer, our prayer is based on God's command. That's the first very thing. Why do we pray the Lord's Prayer? Because God commands us to pray. Not only Jesus says, pray this, or when you pray, say this, but the commandment goes all back to the Ten Commandments, right? It goes to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, where God says, you shall not take my name in vain. And um, uh, whenever we have a commandment from God, whether it is expressed in a negative, like you shall not do this, or in a positive, you shall do this, um, the commandment is not only strictly forbidding this and commanding that, but whenever you have even a prohibition, the opposite thing is, is required by the commandment, right? So when God says, you shall not take my name in vain, it is included in this commandment that we should use God's name in a profitable way, in a useful way, in a good way, right? Uh, and what is the the good way, the good use of God's name, it is to praise his name, it is to call upon him in every need, it is to pray and invoke his name. And thereby his name is glorified and not taken in vain. So, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, it's God's promise. Uh, God promises to do things when we pray. Right? Um, our prayers are not only for, for uh, relieving our stress, our heart. It's, it's, our prayers are meant to address the Father in such a way that God will do something about whatever is troubling us. So Psalm 50 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That's the promise. Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Right? So, if then, Jesus says, if then you who are evil can do good things and give good gifts to your children, how much your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask him. And these this, this, this verbs are very, very important. Mind them. Ask. Seek, find, knock. It will be given. It will be opened. It will be given. Okay? And you will find. So, we have God's promise. Uh, and whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we have this, these two things upon which we base. So, we do it in obedience, but we do it in trust, in faith that God will hear and do what we are asking him to do. Now, the third thing, our need. 
And uh, we don't need to go too far to find out that we have needs, right? It's just a given. We have all sorts of needs. And uh, as we go through the seven petitions, uh, the two, two next sessions, we'll see how, how much needs the Lord's Prayer puts forward, right? And the Lord's Prayer has this function of, of really giving knowledge of ourselves, right? Because um, although we know that we have needs, not, only, not, not always we know what needs exactly we have, right? Um, because we confuse all the time desires and wishes with needs. So the Lord's Prayer tells us what are the things that God thinks that we need, right? And, um, and, 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 and so, so the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer has this function of really giving us the knowledge about, about ourselves because our knowledge is tainted by, by sin. We, we think we need this and that, and probably not. So we are blinded to the real needs that we have. And uh, each need that the Lord's Prayer puts forward, it is so big, as we will see, that it impels us to pray without ceasing, right? Because um, these needs are not only deep, but they are ongoing. We have them for the whole life. And, um, and so the Lord's Prayer is the prayer that we ought to pray um, our entire life, not just, not just once or twice. And it never replaces our other prayers, it's the prayer that Jesus gave us, right? Um, C.S. Lewis said that prayer is request. Now, the Lord's Prayer, I mean, take the seven petitions. What are petitions? They are requests. Are there other kinds of prayer? Yeah, we can pray for thanksgiving. We've, we gave a lot of thanksgiving today in church in the long prayer. Um, and we certainly can, we certainly can uh, do prayer with thanksgiving. But when C.S. Lewis is saying that prayer is request, I don't think he's saying that, you know, there's no other kinds of prayer, but every prayer ought to include a request. And this is pretty much what Luther says also. He says a person must make a request. He must present a petition. Otherwise, it's no prayer, Right? It's no prayer if you don't ask something. Um, and we take a close look at the Lord's Prayer, and every, every, the whole thing, the whole thing literally is, is a request. So um, we ought to ask lots of things from God, and this, this might be sometimes a little troubling, but don't worry, because God is not bothered by your requests. It takes pleasure in your requests. He commands you to request. It teaches to pray a prayer that is only a request. So he welcomes your requests and he, he hasn't better things to do. That's all that God does is listening to the prayers of his saints, answering these prayers. Um, so uh, hearing prayers... Listening to prayers, answering prayers, gives God pleasure, makes him happy. 
So we ought to pray always and ask what we ought to ask. So Luther again says in the large catechism, God wants you to lament and express your needs and concerns not because he is unaware of them, but in order that you may kindle your heart to stronger and greater desires and open and spread your apron wide to receive many things. Um, and I think that's a beautiful statement. God wants you to lament. And you know, and you take, you take even t- take, take a look at the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalter. And if you want to make a little bit of statistics, the majority of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. All of us kind of know by heart, or more or less, we know some, some of the beautiful Psalms, uh, like Psalm 23, that, that the Lord is our shepherd. We have the Psalms of Ascent. We have Psalms of Praise. All those are good psalms, um, but they are not the majority. By far, the majority of psalms are psalms of lament. So God wants you to lament. He wants you to ask. He wants you to know your situation and ask him to do anything, something about it, right? Um, and, and, and be ready, you know. Know that God will answer. He wants you to really open up your, your tablecloth and uh, expect him to fill your table, right? Receive many blessings. That's all he wants to do. And that's all that he does, right? Um, whenever we, we, we uh, pray the Lord's Prayer. Because every single petition of the Lord's Prayer is always answered in the positive. God, God always grants, he always says yes to the Lord's Prayer, to every single request that you make in it. So, and the fourth, the fourth thing that uh, is the basis of our, of our prayer is what uh, Pastor Bruzic was talking a little bit last time. We are friends of Jesus, John 15. And we are in, in good company because... Um, Think of Abraham, who is called in the, Old, in the Old Testament, but also in James chapter 2, is called the friend of God. So we are in good company, and all the saints are friends of God. The disciples were called friends, friends of Jesus, right? So um, we have this, this relationship with the Father through Jesus, which is a relationship of friendship. But more than that, we are brothers of Jesus, so this is really a family relationship. Uh, we are brothers of Jesus, and therefore we are children of God. It always struck me, uh, six years ago, um, once I had to preach on, uh, on Easter, and the text was, in, uh, it was during the Easter season, I don't remember if it was Easter day, but uh, the text was uh, John 20, and... Um, it is, it is interesting because this is the only gospel in which uh, after the resurrection, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, um, go to my brothers and announce to them the resurrection. And isn't that something? It's the first time in the gospels that Jesus calls his disciples brothers. Go, he doesn't say, 
go and tell my servants, go tell my disciples, not even go tell my friends, go tell my brothers uh, that I am living. And I'm going, I'm living and I'm going to the Father. And I'll meet them before I go. So um, by baptism, we are made God's children, uh, made disciples. We are baptized into Christ, Romans 6. And as Pastor Bruzek mentioned last time, Luther says in the commentary to the Galatians, through this relationship, we are cemented to Christ. Christ and we become one so that as he is the Son of God, we become sons of God uh, and, and, and his brothers. So we can ask whatever Jesus is asking of the Father. And what does Jesus ask from the Father? He asks what is in the Lord's Prayer, because that's his prayer. That's the prayer he prays every time. So we can, we can with all confidence and boldness, uh, pray the same prayer. Um, John 1 also says the following, All who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And in today's epistle, John adds, And so we are. We became, and so we are. Be sure, you are children of God. Right? And now the first object- objection that we have would be, that's very fine. You know, God commands, God promises, God puts, in, puts us in relationship with himself, with Jesus, but I am a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I still carry this flesh. I still do the things I don't want to do. I'm unworthy to pray, right? To which... We should answer, of course I'm unworthy to pray. But it is exactly you who are unworthy to pray that God wants to pray. You know, Everybody's unworthy to pray. Everybody's a sinner, but there are two kinds of sinners. There's the sinners that, that uh, know their sin and know they are unworthy, and there's the sinners who don't know they are unworthy. And this is what Jesus tells us in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who go up to the temple to pray, right? The Pharisee stands in the temple, prays to God, but his prayer is just a bragging about his works. I'm not like the other people because I don't do this and I do that. So he thinks of himself of being worthy to pray and God owes him something for it. And then the tax collector stands far off. He doesn't come even to the temple. He stands far off and he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this one went to his house justified rather than the other. The prayer of this unworthy sinner who knows that he is unworthy was accepted by God. And the prayer of the sinner who doesn't know his need was not answered by God. Right, so whenever, whenever the doubt this, uh, comes to our mind, okay, Jesus commands me to pray, gives me the prayer, but how can I say the prayer because I am unworthy? Turn to God's commandment. 
he tells you to pray, and he gave this commandment to sinners, turn to God's promise. He gave this promise to sinners, and uh, it was sinners that God put in a good relationship with himself um, and put it in, into his family. So we do not deserve, as a tax collector, to raise our eyes, our eyes, our hands to, to God in prayer. But God commanded, so we obey and we trust. So now, um, I don't know uh, if you ever wondered what Jesus uh, does in heaven, right? Uh, Jesus went up to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and all that. But what is that which he does? And uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus' task in heaven is to be our high priest. And the high priest is the, the one who stands in between God and man. He's the one who intercedes for the people. So what does Jesus do in heaven? He holds a continuous conversation with the Father about you. He's talking with the Father about you. Uh, the epistle to the Hebrews says he holds his priesthood forever. He always lives to make intercession. So Christ lives in prayer, for prayer, and this prayer is for us. He's got nothing better to do. He is our mediator. He stands in between. Um, and in Romans, uh, in, in Romans, Paul tells us that it's not only the Son who intercedes for us, but the Spirit also prays for us, right? He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Think of the Holy Spirit of, as that person who is the editor of the prayer, so we, whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, even though it is Jesus' prayer, it's a perfect prayer, but the one who prays, we are not perfect. So our prayer is not perfect, although the prayer is perfect in itself. And what the Holy Spirit does is it takes our words that come out of, your, of our mouths, edits the prayer, and takes it to the Father. So that the prayer then is actually perfect. And God will grant that request to us. Uh, so you see that the Holy Trinity, the three persons are busy in heaven, constantly talking about us. You know, talking about our lives. They, knew, they know everything. And they are doing their best to give us the things that we, that we need. So the prayer, or, or, or saying the Lord's Prayer, is not like that uncomfortable thing of trying to starting a conversation, right? Um, put that away, that idea away. We are not starting a conversation with God. The conversation is already going on. The three persons are discussing the affairs of our life, everything. They are talking about us. What we do in the Lord's Prayer is joining the Holy Trinity on this ongoing conversation. 
So before we begin to pray, Jesus is already praying for us. And whether we pray or don't pray, he prays. And he prays so that we can join him in his praying. Um, so that's why, that's why he actually gives us Lord's Prayer. He wants us to join in the conversation. We are children of the Father. We are his brothers. This is family. We sit at table to talk with each other. So Jesus not only prays for us, he also tells us what to pray or I should say he tells us what he prays to the Father and he gives us the same words so that we can address the Father. So Luther says about the Lord's Prayer that it is certainly the very best prayer because it came to earth uh, through, through the Son. God the Father composed it through his Son and placed it into his mouth there is no need then for us to doubt the prayer and to doubt that this prayer pleases God immensely. God wrote it, Jesus delivered. They say it all the time, this prayer pleases God immensely. So uh, it, it's, it's the only prayer perhaps that we can pray to God knowing that it pleases him uh, immensely. And so we pray it with boldness and confidence. Now, when we um, look at the text of Lord's Prayer, there's a bunch of, of, of pronouns going on. Uh, when Jesus starts teaching about it, um, he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And then he says, I say to you, and then when you pray, and then go into your room and pray to your father, your father will reward you. When you pray, you, your, you, your, you, your. Okay? And in English, it doesn't come through. You never, we, you, we never know, actually, unless context tells us whether you is plural or singular, right? But, um, but in this text... Uh, we have both. We have you, plural, you, singular. And this is so, uh, so interesting for us because this is what assures us that the Lord's Prayer is the prayer for the whole church and we pray together, but it is also the prayer of the singular person. And we can, we can say the prayer um, whenever, whenever we, we want. So um, it's the prayer of every Christian. The prayer of the single Christian is the prayer of the church. Um, so we, we, we ought to pray it. Uh, Jesus, Jesus includes every person into the family. All are included in the conversation. The Lord's Prayer, then, it's the private conversation that we have with the Father um, as, sons, as sons of the Father and as, as brothers of Jesus. And, uh, and, and that's probably why Jesus says that when you pray, we ought to go into your room and shut the door so that nobody can listen to you. 
Now, granted, Jesus is using an hyperbole. He's not, you know, Jesus is not expecting you or really requesting you. He's, he's overstating, right? Jesus is overstating. This, this happens many times in Scripture. Um, we don't actually have to get into the closet to pray, right? But remember what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. What was the problem with the, with the prayer of the hypocrites that, that he was criticizing? They stand at the corners in order to be seen by others, right? And, um, and this tells us about what was going wrong with prayer. Because prayer is to the Father. And when you want to make a show out of prayer, then uh, you misdirected prayer. The prayer that Jesus criticized is the prayer that is not to the Father, but is, is for everybody to, to listen. It's a prayer that is said to gain for you spiritual advancement before the people, right? And uh, I don't know if you heard these kinds of prayers. I've heard it many times. Prayers that are turned into sermons for people who are in the room, right? Like, I heard this prayer many times in my family. I thank you because I know the truth about Christ and I do what he commands, but there's people that don't do, right? Because members of the family are in the room and they want them to hear again that they are not doing the right thing, okay? They are still Catholic. The others are Baptists. They are good, okay? So that's the problem. Um, And uh, so... We kind of we see that happening sometimes. And Jesus says, that prayer is no prayer. So that's why he overstates, you know, go into your room. But the idea is, uh, Jesus, wants us, Jesus wants to prevent us from misdirecting our prayer. Our prayer is a request to the Father. The Father promises to hear and to answer It's not for you to advance your spirituality, brag about yourself, and condemn other people, right? So, um, so, so, so that's why prayer is a private conversation between God's sons and 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 the the heavenly Father. But yet, prayer is communal. So it's private and communal. It's kind of a paradox, but the Bible is. It's filled with paradoxes. It's private and and communal. Because Jesus gives the prayer to the church, right? He gives the prayer to the whole group of his disciples, and he he, he says the prayer in the plural. He says, our Father. He says, as we. So it's for, for, for the whole church. And Jesus doesn't want us to pray on... He doesn't want us to pray like my Father, but our Father... So he wants us to pray for everyone. And, uh, and this everyone includes even, even our enemies. The Sermon on the Mount has a section also about this, about 
doing good to those who persecute us, praying for our enemies, and so forth. So, um, in the church, in the communion of saints, we don't get along all the time. But still, um, these, these people with whom we don't get along, they are to be included in our prayer. And in fact, they are, because whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, as John Don says, we are involved in mankind. So the, the Lord's Prayer, even though you might be thinking, oh, but not that person. Jesus, God is answering also for that person. Always, uh, whenever you say the Lord's Prayer. So there's no way around it. Um, you cannot avoid it. Uh, so, um, and this, this sense of community is really what Paul says in Romans 12. We are one body in Christ and are members of one another. And then 1 Corinthians, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Um, but God... But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, right? Even the, the weaker, the weaker or, 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 or even the part of the body, and here Christ's body, which we would consider shameful, Jesus clothed with honor. He is no less part of the body as the people that we consider worthy to be part of the body. So it is also part of our prayer. That there may be no division in the body, says Paul, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then he says, For if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Um, so there, there's, the, there's the communal part of the Lord's Prayer. But then Jesus goes on and he says the second thing about, about prayer before he actually gives us the prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, so uh, do not eat empty phrases. God doesn't need extra work on our side so that our prayer may be heard. It's not on us. It's on His promise to hear. Our work is simply to pray. It's not that uh, you have to keep going and going and, all, and going. Uh, prayer, as Jesus teaches, is, 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 is sh a short prayer. It's a request, right? So we pray. Um, and it's not keeping uh, up empty phrases, right, um, as the Gentiles do, because the Gentiles would think, you know, that they had to gain, they had to gain God's favor, and, and, and the way that you gain God's favor is just keeping, keep going, keep going. But you don't have to gain God's favor. You have already God's favor in Christ. Christ redeemed you. You are the children of God. You are the brothers of Jesus. He gave you a prayer, a short prayer. 
Now, we can expand on this prayer, but we don't have to, um, to simply pray verbally all the time because even when Jesus says, even when Jesus says, pray always, he's talking about spiritual prayer because prayer, before it is words that are spoken, prayer is an attitude of the heart, right? It's, it's thoughts coming from the heart. And then you, use, you can use words to express these thoughts, but sometimes you don't, right? And it's prayer nevertheless. So prayer is, is, is from the heart. Um, Luther says, you know, about... And of course, he was, he was kind of um, criticizing... The prayer, as it was done in, in medieval piety, you know, um, counting beads, uh, saying the right prayers in the, in the right time, in the right order, um, saying the prayer mindlessly, you know, counting the beads, saying the prayer, looking around, thinking about 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 lunch or dinner, um, and perhaps. And perhaps even saying the Lord's Prayer, we, we fall into the same error, you know, of saying the Lord's Prayer thoughtlessly. And, uh, and so, and so but, but that's not what Christ wants. And, and Luther would even say the Lord's Prayer is, is, is abused all the time because even, even, the prayer, even that prayer, we sometimes just, we, we just say it. We are not thinking about it, right? And... Um, so, so Luther is criticizing that kind of prayer. It's, it's just words, no thought, no heart. So he says, um, prayer must have few words but be great and profound in content and meaning. The fewer the words, the better the prayer. The more words, the poorer the prayer. Few words are richness and, and richness of meaning is Christian. Many words and lack of meaning is pagan. Therefore, Christ says that the disciples should not heap up um, phrases, empty phrases, as the Gentiles do. So the idea is that we don't need to persuade God to do things. God wants already to do them. So we just pray. We say the Lord's Prayer once, twice, three times a day. It doesn't matter. Uh, but we trust He's going he's to do it. It's a prayer that pleases Him. And um, so we don't have to persuade him to do anything. He wants to do it, but he wants us to pray. Right? Uh, we are running almost uh, out of time, so I'll just say one more thing, uh, I guess, about um, about this. Um, Jesus says in this introduction. You don't even need to just keep going and going because the Father knows beforehand what you need. The question then is, why pray if God knows what you need, right? Why pray? Um, So we pray, nevertheless, because uh, God wants us to acknowledge and to confess that He is already bestowing the things that we are praying for, right, in the Lord's Prayer. He has been giving us that all along since the first day. But he wants us to acknowledge that 
And also he wants us to, to stir, he wants to stir us to expect him to give even more. So uh, when we say the Lord's Prayer, although we might be asking God things, which we are, we are also, and perhaps even more so, instructing ourselves about what Christ or God has been doing all along, you know, giving all these things that the Lord's Prayer has, and believe that he will keep giving them even more. So that's, that's, that's why we need to pray. So not only for God to act, but also for us to believe that he will act. Um, so uh, C.S. Lewis also said about, about prayer that God instituted prayer in order to land his creatures at the dignity of causality, right? Because God actually does things when we pray. And, of course, God is the cause of all things. He's the one who gives these things, and he gives even without our prayer. But he wants to give us this dignity of causality, that we, we are partakers of the work of God in the world when we pray. We are co-workers with him. And that's actually what James will say in chapter 4, of his epistle, uh, he, he says that, you know, there's many quarrels in, in the congregations because um, people don't have what they need or they desire and they don't pray. So when you don't have what you need, it's very easy for us to kind of blow at each other. That happens in families all the time. Um, so in Portuguese, we say, in the house where there is no bread, nobody is right. Because no, no matter what we'll, er, anyone will say, people are heated. Um, probably the fault is of everybody, but people just accuse each other, right? So um, we don't have sometimes what we need or desire because we don't pray. Uh, and that's what he says. You do, not, you, don't, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it in your passions. So, the Father's knowledge of our needs, it doesn't preclude our prayers. We ought to pray nevertheless, but this knowledge motivates us even more to pray because we know that the things that we ask for are the very same things that he wants us that he wants to give to us right and that's why he gives us this wonderful prayer that we'll get to uh, really next time okay <laughs> so uh, we'll do probably the first three petitions next time the later four petitions the other time okay thank you so much See you at the Eucharist.